Chapter Twelve of My First Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. My First Book by Various. Chapter Twelve Hudson's Bay by R. M. Ballantyne. Having been asked to give some account of the commencement of my literary career, I begin by remarking that my first book was not a tale or story-book, but a free and easy record of personal adventure and everyday life in those wild regions of North America which are known variously as Rupert's Land, the Hudson's Bay Territory, the Norwest, and the Great Lone Land. The record was never meant to see the light in the form of a book it was written solely for the eye of my mother but as it may be said that it was the means of leading me ultimately into the path of my life work and was penned under somewhat peculiar circumstances it may not be out of place to refer to it particularly here the circumstances were as follows after having spent about six years in the wild northwest as a servant of the hudson's bay fur company i found myself one summer at the advanced age of twenty-two in charge of an outpost on the uninhabited north shores of the gulf of st lawrence named seven islands it was a dreary desolate spot at that time far beyond the bounds of civilization the gulf just opposite the establishment was about fifty miles broad the ships which passed up and down it were invisible not only on account of the distance but because of seven islands at the mouth of the bay coming between them and the outpost my next neighbor in command of a similar post up the gulf was about seventy miles distant the nearest house down the gulf was about eighty miles off and behind us lay the virgin forests with swamps lakes prairies and mountains stretching away without break right across the continent to the pacific ocean the outpost which in virtue of a ship's carronade and a flagstaff was occasionally styled a fort consisted of four wooden buildings one of these the largest with a veranda was the residency there was an offshoot in the rear which served as a kitchen the other houses were a store for goods wherewith to carry on trade with the indians a stable and a workshop the whole population of the establishment indeed of the surrounding district consisted of myself and one man also a horse the horse occupied the stable i dwelt in the residency the rest of the population lived in the kitchen there were indeed five other men belonging to the establishment but these did not affect its desolation for they were away netting salmon at a river about twenty miles distant at the time i write of my friday who was a french canadian being cook as well as man of all works found a little occupation in attending to the duties of his office but the unfortunate governor had nothing whatever to do except await the arrival of indians who were not due at that time the horse was a bad one without a saddle and in possession of a pronounced backbone my friday was not sociable i had no books no newspapers no magazines or literature of any kind no game to shoot no boat wherewith to prosecute fishing in the bay and no prospect of seeing any one to speak to for weeks if not months to come but i had pen and ink and by great good fortune was in possession of a blank paper book fully an inch thick 
these then were the circumstances in which i began my first book when that book was finished and not long afterwards submitted to the i need hardly say favourable criticism of my mother i had not the most distant idea of taking to authorship as a profession even when a printer cousin seeing the manuscript offered to print it and the well-known blackwood of edinburgh seeing the book offered to publish it and did publish it my ambition was still so absolutely asleep that i did not again put pen to paper in that way for eight years thereafter although i might have been encouraged thereto by the fact that this first book named hudson's bay besides being a commercial success received favourable notice from the press it was not until the year eighteen fifty four that my literary path was opened up at that time i was a partner in the late publishing firm of constable and company of edinburgh happening one day to meet with the late william nelson publisher i was asked by him how i should like the idea of taking to literature as a profession my answer i forget it must have been vague for i never thought of the subject before well said he what would you think of trying to write a story somewhat amused i replied that i did not know what to think but i would try if he wished me to do so do so said he and go to work at once or words to that effect i went to work at once and wrote my first story or work of fiction it was published in eighteen fifty five under the name of snowflakes and sunbeams or the young fur traders afterwards the first part of the title was dropped and the book is now known as the young fur traders from that day to this i have lived by making story-books for young folk from what i have said it will be seen that i have never aimed at the achieving of this position and i hope that it is not presumptuous in me to think and to derive much comfort from the thought that god led me into the particular path along which i have walked for so many years the scene of my first story was naturally laid in those backwoods with which i was familiar and the story itself was founded on the adventures and experiences of myself and my companions when a second book was required of me i stuck to the same regions but changed the locality when casting about in my mind for a suitable subject i happened to meet with an old retired nor'wester who had spent an adventurous life in rupert's land among other duties he had been sent to establish an outpost of the hudson's bay company at ungava bay one of the most dreary parts of a desolate region on hearing what i wanted he sat down and wrote a long narrative of his proceedings there which he placed at my disposal and thus furnished me with the foundation of ungava but now i had reached the end of my tether and when a third story was wanted i was compelled to seek new fields of adventure in the books of travellers regarding the southern seas as a most romantic part of the world after the backwoods i mentally and spiritually plunged into those warm waters and the dive resulted in the coral island it now began to be borne in upon me that there was something not quite satisfactory in describing expiating on and energizing in regions which one has never seen for one thing it was needful to be always carefully on the watch to avoid falling into mistakes geographical topographical natural historical and otherwise for instance despite the utmost care of which i was capable while studying up for the coral island i fell into a blunder through ignorance in regard to a familiar fruit 
i was under the impression that coconuts grew on their trees in the same form as that in which they are usually presented to us in the grocer's windows namely about the size of a large fist with three spots at one end learning from trustworthy books that at a certain stage of development the nut contains a delicious beverage-like lemonade i sent one of my heroes up a tree for a nut through the shell of which he bored a hole with a penknife it was not till long after the story was published that my own brother who had voyaged in the southern seas wrote to draw my attention to the fact that the coconut is nearly as large as a man's head and its outer husk over an inch thick so that no ordinary penknife could bore to its interior of course i should have known this and perhaps should be ashamed of my ignorance but somehow i am not i admit that this was a slip but such and other slips hardly justify the remark that some people have not hesitated to make namely that i have a tendency to draw the long bow i feel almost sensitive on this point for i have always laboured to be true to nature and to fact even in my wildest flights of fancy this reminds me of the remark made to myself once by a lady in reference to this same coral island there is one thing mr ballantyne she said which i really find it hard to believe you make one of your three boys dive into a clear pool go to the bottom and then turning on his back look up and wink and laugh at the other two no no not laugh said i remonstratively well then you make him smile ah that is true but there is a vast difference between laughing and smiling under water but is it not singular that you should doubt the only incident in the story which i personally verify i happened to be in lodgings at the seaside while writing that story and after penning the passage you referred to i went down to the shore pulled off my clothes dived to the bottom turned on my back and looking up i smiled and winked the lady laughed but i have never been quite sure from the tone of that laugh whether it was a laugh of conviction or of unbelief it is not improbable that my fair friend's mental constitution may have been somewhat similar to that of the old woman who declined to believe her sailor grandson when he told her he had seen flying fish but at once recognized his veracity when he said he had seen the remains of pharaoh's chariot wheels on the shores of the red sea recognizing then the difficulties of my position i formed the resolution to visit when possible the scenes in which my stories were laid converse with the people who under modification were to form the dramatis personae of the tales and generally to obtain information in each case as far as lay in my power from the fountain-head thus when about to begin the lifeboat i went to ramsgate and for some time was hand and glove with the jarman the heroic coxswain of the ramsgate boat a lion-like as well as lion-hearted man who rescued hundreds of lives from the fatal goodwin sands during his career in like manner when getting up information for the lighthouse i obtained permission from the commissioners of northern lights to visit the bell rock lighthouse where i hobnobbed with the three keepers of that celebrated pillar in the sea for three weeks and read stevenson's graphic account of the building of the structure in the library or visitor's room just under the lantern i was absolutely a prisoner there during those three weeks for no boats ever came near us and it need scarcely be said that ships kept well out of our way 
by good fortune there came on a pretty stiff gale at the time and stevenson's thrilling narrative was read to the tune of whistling winds and roaring seas many of which later sent the spray right up to the lantern and caused the building more than once to quiver to its foundation in order to do justice to fighting the flames i careered through the streets of london on fire engines clad in a pea-jacket and a black leather helmet of the salvage corps this to enable me to pass the cordon of police without question though not without recognition as was made apparent to me on one occasion at a fire by a fireman whispering confidentially i know what you are sir you're a amateur right you are said i and moved away in order to change the subject it was a glorious experience by the way this galloping on fire engines through the crowded streets it had in it much of the excitement of the chase possibly that of war with the noble end in view of saving instead of destroying life such tearing along at headlong speed such wild roaring of the firemen to clear the way such frantic dashing aside of cabs carts buses and pedestrians such reckless courage on the part of the men and volcanic spoutings on the part of the fires but i must not linger the memory of it is too enticing deep down took me to cornwall where over two hundred fathoms beneath the green turf and more than a half mile out under the bed of the sea i saw the sturdy miners at work winning copper and tin from the solid rock and acquired some knowledge of their life sufferings and toils in the land of the vikings i shot ptarmigan caught salmon and gathered material for erling the bold a winter in algiers made me familiar with the pirate city i enjoyed a fortnight with the hardy inhabitants of the gull lightship off the goodwin sands and went to the cape of good hope and up into the interior of the colony to spy out the land and hold intercourse with the settler and the savage although i am bound to confess that with regard to the latter i talked to him only with mine eyes i also went afloat for a short time with the fishermen of the north sea in order to be able to do justice to the young trawler to arrive still closer at the truth and to avoid errors i have always endeavoured to submit my proof-sheets when possible to experts and men who knew the subjects well thus captain shaw late chief of the london fire brigade kindly read the proofs of fighting the flames and preventing my getting off the rails in matters of detail and sir arthur blackwood financial secretary to the general post office obliging me did the same favour in regard to post haste one other word in conclusion always while writing whatever might be the subject of my story i have been influenced by an undercurrent of effort and desire to direct the minds and affections of my readers towards the higher life End of chapter twelve